Welcome back everyone to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Um, if you are new here, first time listening, my co-host, uh, colleague Amanda and I, we record our new episodes every week. We try our best to release new episodes every Sunday. If you missed last week's episode, we hosted another fellow TikToker. If you're new here, you'll hear about TikTok a lot. Uh, but Jason, aka Not Your Therapist Dude, and he came, joined us, talked all on um, kind of what he's known for on his platforms and the therapeutic use of humor, whether that's in the therapy setting or just helping people through, you know, working through their own things and on their healing journey. This week, we have another repeat guest, also a fellow TikToker, but uh, Dr. Leslie Cook. She is coming back. She's been with us multiple times now. She started, her first episode was on neurodevelopmental disorders, particularly ADHD. And then she came back a second time and shared with us um, her perspective on how to be more affirming for LGBTQ plus youth in their coming out journey. And today she comes and we are going to be touching on the topic of those ages 20 to 50 and um, what it's like living with chronic pain. So welcome, Leslie. We're happy to have you back yet again and you can keep coming back, but, but welcome back again. I just have to say how gracious it is that Leslie, um, in all of her busy life, personal life, work life, TikTok life, devotes her time to us. So I'm excited for this episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. Yes, I cannot wait to be here. When I um, pulled up the system to go to call you, it said last talked to eight months ago. And I was like, wow, the time has flown that fast. But then you talked to Kelsey in between, too. So that yeah. was awesome. Yes, we're excited. It has gone. I feel like this year's. Yeah, this year's gone so fast. It really has. Yeah, I was like, um, Christmas, Christmas, guys, is is next week. We're We're there. So for those of um, the audience that hasn't heard from you yet, Leslie, be sure you go back and listen to those episodes. Um, however, can you just give a brief introduction about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I've been licensed since 2010, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I have specialties in the area of neurodivergence, so folks on the autism spectrum, um, with ADHD, learning disabilities, and then um, other organic differences. But I've worked really across the lifespan throughout my career. Um, and right now I do private practice, mostly assessment with some therapy. Um, but I've worked in a variety of settings and I'm on TikTok and I love speaking with you all. I haven't been able to be as active, obviously, for important reasons, but I'm excited to get back on. Um, today's topic I am very excited about because it personally impacts me and many people in my life and I work with a lot of those clients as well. So um, today we're going to be talking to Leslie about chronic pain um, and then we kind of just picked an age range of 20 to 50 years old lifespan, um, those folks that struggle with chronic pain. And if you've listened to uh, many of our episodes, Kelsey and I are very much holistic, mind, body, soul. Um, so we know there is a mind-body connection with mental health stress and chronic health issues. So this is one that's really close to my heart. Um, but it's not fully understood yet, which makes it really hard to treat, you know, um, because there's so many unknowns. So can you kind of talk on that, Leslie? Sure, I think one of the things we're trying to do in the field of psychology and specifically with augmentative psychology 
cognitive therapy for chronic pain sufferers is break down this idea of the dualism between body and mind. Um, that was the prevailing thought, you know, 100 and even 50 years ago was that the, the mind was a very separate process from the body. And so you could have disorders or diagnoses that were mind related and those that were body related. Um, and that really led to a lot of, especially for um, individuals um, assigned female at birth, a lot of misdiagnosis over the years. In fact, there was a study, really famous study now, about 20 years ago that said that perhaps up to 60% of all women diagnosed with depression actually have a primary thyroid condition. Um, and that if the thyroid condition is treated, their depression alleviates. Well, over the last 20 years, what we've tried to do in psychology is really start to reunify the body and mind since they were never separate. Uh, but it takes a while for medicine to catch up. So psychology and therapy has a lot to offer, both in treatment of the effects of chronic pain on mood and anxiety and well-being, but also just to reprogram our own minds to understand that we're actually this holistic being that, that isn't really separate. I love that so much. And I find most of what I do in my life in general, but like in my practice is educating people on that. Um, and like you said, it's, it's, I've done um, presented like professional education trainings on that connection and, and it goes way, way, way back, right? This mind body connection has been identified. Um, you know, I can get on my soapbox about reasons why I think it's been separated. <laughs> um, but I think that um, there's still a struggle for professionals, doctors, physicians, clinicians, even let alone the layperson that's coming to the doctor's office for their pain. Um, and I, I worked in behavioral health and integrated care setting, and I'd have people that referred to me specifically for that reason because the doctor had tried everything else with them. Um, and, you know, I would go to present that and it could go one of two ways where people are kind of shocked and like, oh, my gosh, tell me more. Or I don't believe you. How could you possibly help me with pain? I have pain. Hello. Like, I'm not crazy is what they would see it as. Right. So we have a long way to go. And I think too, what I see so often, I hear clients like the clients that I do work with. It's not like I think I said, you know, when we were talking about scheduling this topic, but because I work with pretty intensive like trauma or types of trauma, like developmental trauma. Um, and we know the connections there and me in my assessment, I can see my clients like their wheels turning, like, why are you asking me so much about my physical health? Or if I have any physical pain that I suspect could be linked to mental health symptoms, or they don't even are coming to that place where they're like, what do you mean could be linked to mental health system? Like, and I'm, and as you explain it, that you can see like the light bulb for them, like it makes so much sense. But like we said, it's not it's not understood in, in this capacity. So. Yeah, one of the best ways that I find to explain that to folks is, have you ever found that when you go into your doctor, that your blood pressure is reading a little higher than it would read at another time? And uniformly people will pretty much say yeah and I'll say well why is that I'll say well I was nervous say, okay so that's our that's our foundational understanding of the the brain and the body and the mind are all this intricate system and when you brought up trauma that's a really also another nice inroad to help explain to folks that when you experience traumatic events that rewires how our body understands um, warning signs so we'll have physiological real reactions to things 
that are occurring because of a memory, not because of any actual current threat. So sometimes when I work with chronic pain patients, I start there, like in kind of removed um, examples, things that aren't relevant, because if we can understand how that's possible, then we can kind of link that to how they're experiencing it. But I also find that it's a lot of my work in the beginning with those patients is convincing them that they're not crazy. <laughs> yes. And, and that that language and, and helping them break that down, because like we, Amanda might have touched on that a second ago, but they've probably found themselves in front of other providers who aren't informed on on this area or, you know, have a different school of thought and have been made to feel that way or believe that about why they're there or what their needs are. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I think maybe at least I know two of us from our previous conversations, but maybe three, I've actually been in that situation myself. And so mm-hmm. it, it helps when I'm working with chronic pain patients to be able to say, I know what that is like when a, a doctor says, I just can't find anything wrong. So this must be something psychological and to, to experience that split of body and mind and then have to really fight that and say, no, I have to retain it's anxiety. It's really not a, not, a, not a split at all. Like it's, it's, it's very, very intertwined. Yeah. It's, it's that interesting separation of the brain. Like it's not an organ like the rest of the ones in our body. It's kind of like health insurance and dental insurance and eye insurance as if they're not all part of the same health. Anyways, I can go off on that. So I'm not going to. <laughs> I've given that same, same speech so many times that if we're using the organ that we're studying to study itself, then that should really help us understand how linked these things are. Absolutely. Can we let, can we get into, for our community, like helping people, I guess, what would it look like or how do you cope with something that feels just in, inescapable, you know, this thing that I'm living with and navigating life with chronic pain? Yeah, it's a very different thing to treat and support in in therapy because for most of the things that we see in our offices, we're going to be working towards either resolution or decreasing symptoms. Like that's the measure of whether we're being successful. With chronic pain, we can't look to the absence or presence of pain as the goal because for a lot of pain disorders, that's not a reliable outcome. We don't know where pain is going to go. Um, and, and hopefully at some point with more research, we will have better actual treatments to relieve the pain. Um, so that's the first part is when you seek treatment for, for chronic pain, probably some of your early sessions will be related to the idea of what will change look like? How will I know if I'm benefiting from this? And it might look really un uncharacteristic of other types of therapy. I joke um, that my own therapy with chronic pain has really focused on me coping with the idea that when I'm hurting, I'm allowed to rest and that I don't have to earn that. So you might find that that's that's some of the early work is just reframing how we think about it. And then I think the second phase of chronic pain treatment, which is where most of our energy is spent, is learning to tap in to pay attention to, to listen to the body. Um, chronic pain is like a like having an, an air horn that's going off all the time. It's very difficult to concentrate and figure out what's happening. Often we're trying to escape the sensation. And so in therapy, we might try to slowly tap into the sensations, understand them, sometimes even create colors or music for them. Um, and then once we really understand what the patterns are, 
then we try to move to a place where we can help some of the symptoms either reduce um, or help our day adapt to the symptoms to make them not impact us as much. I love that you brought up that um, component about the battle in your brain. So like the, something that was on my mind as you were talking is the comorbidity with other conditions. Um, so, and I, we don't have to go on a tangent about that because I know we didn't prepare for that, but um, it's just interesting for me to see the, the um, recent research on like ADHD and fibromyalgia or things like that and trying to figure out what those connections are. Um, so for me, that was definitely a battle because my body says, go, 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 do, 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 accomplish, 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 right? My brain says that. And then my body's saying, um, hey, we're in a lot of pain, but I'm like, eh, whatever. We just push through that, right? Yeah, it's definitely a battle. But as you were talking and saying, listen to your body, that's like, say that like 24 seven. Um, it's interesting because we talk about that in mental health as like, listen to what's going on. Where do you feel that? What are the thoughts you're hearing? What emotions are connected to that? And it's the same with that pain signal, what's happening in your body and what can you do with it? I was going to say too, that feeling of, and we see that with so many areas of our work is that feeling of uh, trying to escape myself. And then it can probably sound terrifying to somebody that we start working with to tell them like, and we're going to tap into it and we're going to listen to it. And then we're going to like sit with it and stuff. So it's like, of course it's a process, but that, that feeling of constantly feeling like I need to escape myself or my own internal experience. Yeah. I often, when I work with, with patients, I often start in a way that is maybe a little un traditional for, well, maybe not for working with adults. I often start with them drawing their pain or painting their pain. Um, if, if people are at people, there is an app called my pain tracker and it has different symbols for all the different types of pain, like 25. This is another thing I don't think people really know is there are so many ways to feel pain sensations. And so on the app, it'll have this blank body and you can put the picture of type of pain on the body part and it can become a way to in a creative way start to connect that is not it's not so um intimidating so we're not going to tap into all of our pain like let's feel it all but we might start thinking of ways to describe it because breaking down that escape avoidance cycle is is part of of treating it and that is i think one of the scariest things to do when you have an inescapable condition is to spend any time in connection with it so we do that in a very careful controlled way that's you know not scary i've used that app before and i like it because you can color code it and stuff rain had to join me because daddy had to leave but um <laughs> uh i love that you talk about that because i've used that app before um but also it's a it's a mindfulness thing like again connected to and, and this is the next hopping point is like the psychological impact so i think this is a good segue but um as far as getting stuck in that catastrophizing thought like this feels bad so I am bad and everything is horrible and now I'm in a dark hole it can really help you for me personally it helped me separate out and I've seen it happen for clients too when you're like actually it's not all over pain and I'm not like completely debilitated by this awful pain it's there's a little bit of stinging over here and this is really dull ache and you know it can kind of separate that out which I really like but what other psychological impacts do you think that kind of or do you see connect with invisible illnesses. 
There are a lot. Um, I think that, you know, the primary one we see is depression, especially as chronic pain progresses, that it can get, you know, difficult without support. This is why we really advocate for getting therapeutic help. Because when we're holding all of this on our own, and we're in the raising kids years and the working years, it can be exhausting. So we see a lot of depression that comes from this, a lot of, um, you know, difficulty maintaining work which can then impact our self-concept. Another thing we see mental health-wise with folks with chronic pain is anticipatory anxiety. So when they're hurting, they're hurting. And when they're not hurting, they're worried about hurting. And so it's this flip back and forth between anxiety and physical pain. Uh, And and I'm so happy you brought up mindfulness because that is one of the the most evidence-based practices that we have to cope with chronic pain. And there are so many ways to introduce mindfulness into your daily life. Sometimes when I bring that up with folks, they roll their eyes and they say, oh gosh, I can't sit with my eyes closed. And I'll say, great. Can you walk your neighborhood and count the fire hydrants? Can you look around your room and count how many birds you have on your wall? Just because I have a big painting with birds. Um, so there are, there are lots of ways we can get into um, mediate those effects. But the first thing we have to do is really see what it's impacting. And that will be really unique for each individual. That's something like that, right where your thought ended, I was in my head, I was like, cause I don't, I don't struggle with any invisible illnesses myself. So I have that privilege of not having to navigate day-to-day life with that. And I'm like, in my brain, I feel like that could make somebody's world very small. Like I can't make those plans because I could be hurting or, you know, all of these different things that get taken off of the table because they're anticipating that pain or, or that flare up. Or that. I was going to say the word that came to mind is isolating. Your world gets really, really, really small, um, especially if you don't have somebody, whether that's a caregiver, family or therapist or doctor or whatever, to help you figure out the accommodations and how to navigate life. And it can become defeating and debilitating. And that self-concept, my brain went like the, how we could snowball into that, the depression or, or anxiety or, you know, those other co-occurring things of, or that the self-concept really came up in my mind of the should thinking or, you know, all of the things that other people need me to, to show up for and then internalizing it whenever my body's telling me that I, that I can't. Yeah, and there there is another piece to that that links exactly to what you're saying with when it it really is invisible um, to others, there's only so many times we can mention, I'm really hurting, I'm really hurting, I'm really hurting, before it's pretty inevitable that someone will give us some kind of response like, yeah, we know, I mean, we heard you say that a lot of times. So it can be really hard to maintain that self-concept when you start feeling like maybe it's a little burdensome for others. Maybe they don't believe us. And even if they do, maybe they're fatigued by hearing it because there's no solution, right? So your your friends and caregivers might also feel hopeless or frustrated because they can't make something like this go away. Whereas with a panic attack, you can tell your friends and family, 
I have panic disorder, when I have an anxiety attack, here's something you can do. And then when they do that, you feel better. So there's an, a back and forth well, with chronic pain that's not always available. And so it can be defeating for a lot of folks. But I don't want to leave that thought there because that sounds sad. It doesn't have to be defeating. So that's why people come in for services. And one of the things that I often do with my clients is we do make like a self-care emergency plan that we'll give out to friends and family. So if if you're in a flare or if you're having a, an episode of relapsing MMS, you have this care plan that's written out. And when you activate it, it's kind of like going up a DEF CON level, like everyone around you kind of knows what to do. And that way everyone feels like they're helping and you don't get so isolated. I was gonna say too, like the age range, I know, cause we picked the age range you know, kind of intentionally, because I feel like that can be an extra layer if you are at this developmental age where you're, you know, kind of, it's just assumed that you're in good health because you're 25 or because you're 30 or so, and then getting that kind of feedback from loved ones, friends, caregivers, you know, could be, like we said, defeating, but it doesn't have to be. So another one of those thoughts I don't want to leave there, but I love that idea of not just creating that for the client, but then also having the client then empowered to distribute to those people around them. You know how many times I've been told, you're too young to be in that much pain. Oh, you're too young to hurt like that. Oh, you can't, you can't not, come on, you can walk farther, right? Like, cause I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I think 27, 28. So yeah, that's the invisible part of it is you look okay. And so it's, it's impossible to believe. I, I always tell people, and Leslie, I don't know if you can relate to this, but like, I'll tell my husband, I'll be like, I wish I could just like touch you and just like, you could feel what I feel. Like, I wish I could just connect that energy with you just for you, just for a minute, just to feel how I feel, just to have that understanding. It, absolutely. I, and I wasn't diagnosed, I've diagnosed with fibromyalgia too. And this might segue into something else we wanted to talk about, which is resistance of accepting that we have chronic pain and how that can actually impact our pain in this backwards way. But I wasn't diagnosed until I was 39. Um, and part of the reason that I didn't get diagnosed until then is those kind of comments that I did. I believed it for a long time that, oh, and someone said, you know, you're just, I'll never forget this. You know, you are a really busy mom. And busy moms get really tired because I was trying to explain this feeling that would come right before the pain would come a feeling of all of a sudden feeling like I was made of like metal, like heavy, like I was sinking or even felt like my head was kind of sinking, just a strange sensation. And so when a physician tells you, you're just a busy mom, gosh, you're doing so well, right? Then in connected in my mind is, oh, don't complain about the pain because that's what makes me good is that I can still function. So separating those ideas out is an essential part of beginning to treat chronic pain. And if you have friends and family that are, are telling you those things and they're safe people that you can talk to, please offer them that insight that that is well-intentioned, but really unhelpful because whatever we're feeling is what we're feeling, regardless of whether we should or not. And the things that I am doing as a part of my day-to-day -day life and I feel like people can get stuck on that, like all of these different roles that we fill. And it's like, 
well, that can't be real, you know, because you're still doing all the things. And it's like, because I also, that can tie into that feeling of like, I'm not fully accepting or listening to my body or giving my body what it actually needs because I'm getting, I haven't accepted that. So I'm just really ignoring it and and what I need in order to to be those things and do those things like with that self-concept and how Leslie I know that's a, a good segue as well for our next next point here as far as some concrete things that if we're giving those people these this insight and we're you know breaking through these ideas for that people can have towards those living with invisible illness chronic pain how can they some like concrete ways that friends and loved ones can support someone in their life uh, navigating those things or expressing those things to them yeah one of the best ways that you can do that as a family member is to ask the question because a lot of chronic pain sufferers don't want to burden other people with asking for things which is a whole other thing we break down but if you know that someone is suffering from something that is painful periodically ask them what would and let me be really clear don't ask them is there anything i can do because they'll just say no i'm good so instead of saying that say when you are hurting tell me the things that i could do that would make life a little easier don't give them an out to say they're fine just say what are the things that help um and and then um, try to integrate those into your life with them. So if you have a best friend and you know that they have fibromyalgia and you they cancel plans, it's okay to kind of check in with them at that point and say, um, it sounds like maybe this is a time where you could use one of those things. Could I, could I door dash you some food tonight so you don't have to make anything? Could I come over and do your dishes? Or do you just want to you want to just talk about it? Tell me all the stuff that's hurting right now. Like, give me all the metaphors. I want to hear about it all. Um, so that's one of the ways you can help. Another way you can help is to not question. Sometimes chronic pain is so difficult to explain that it might seem impossible that someone's describing. I, I told someone once, it feels like I'm made of pain. And they said, what? I don't think that's a thing. So it's important that if someone tells you something, just repeat it back and say, okay, all right. You feel like you're made of pain. I have no idea what that means, but that sounds not fun. Really validating their experience. I think um, I like what you said about asking them specifically in those times, but then you started to give examples later. I was like, sometimes you might even have to give actual examples of what can be done because even that person might still say no i'm okay thanks or they don't sometimes it can be depending on what's going on with you you know fibromyalgia and other chronic health conditions have so many other co-occurring issues they might not be able to cognitively figure out what they need in the moment so you offering suggestions can be really helpful um dang it there was something you said at the end too i lost it because mom brain dang it i'll come back it's okay. I lost it too. I don't even remember what I said at the end. We're just accepting that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, supporting friends with chronic pain. All right, let me see if I can grab it one more time. Is that how you would describe or not be able to describe? Oh, yes. How you would describe. I often say that it feels like I got tumbled around in an industrial dryer. 
or like a big concrete roller or something. And like, I don't know if you've seen images online where like the whole outside of the body is bruised. And like, if, if my pain was on the outside, this is what I would actually look like. If you could see it, that really hits for me. Yeah. That's why I think I do a lot of those art-based interventions with folks and then encourage them to share with their family. That was going to be our next bullet is, uh, we talked about mindfulness, we talked about using the app, and then you just talked about some art. Um, what are some other evidence-based ways that we can work with chronic pain that's not medical, that's not medication or procedures? One of the most maddening facts about chronic pain that is absolutely true is that when we have a window to move our body, it's likely to help. <laughs> and that's a hard truth for me because sometimes we're so tired that when we have a window, we don't wanna move our body because we really just wanna watch Netflix and be in a bath. Um, but we do, there is some very strong evidence. For me, that is heated yoga. Um, there's something about the heat that helps I think with mo mobility and decreases some of that joint pain for me that comes with it. I used to, I will say that I used to be a like, go to all the festivals three times a week in a studio heated to hundred degrees. And I am not that now and that is okay. Um, but moving your body in ways like yoga, Tai Chi, Pilates, um, some of the ballet bar training is kind of isometric. I think that's the right word. Um, uh, body movements can help. Um, uh, weight training, actually, really low weight. Weight training actually can help um, with some chronic pain issues. Please remember, though, if you're listening to this, not in the height of your pain. So these are things we do when we have windows to strengthen our body and to, um, in the case of fibromyalgia, what we're also trying to do is retrain the, the signals from the muscles and the nerves, because we think that's what fibromyalgia is related to, is a difficulty. The brain is interpreting bodily injury when bodily injury has not occurred. So there is that. Um, I'm a big critic of neuro and biofeedback for ADHD because it doesn't hold up over time. I'm a huge proponent of bio and neurofeedback for chronic pain, because there does seem to be some really wonderful evidence that um, using these really neat, um, technological instruments. So if you've never, it's hard to explain when it's audio, but um, you actually have little electrodes that don't hurt you that are stuck to your head and you can learn to control a video game with your thoughts. And so there are some pain-based ones that when you're experiencing pain, you can make the car move by relaxing your muscles and you can learn how to purposefully relax parts of your body when they're in pain. And we do seem to see that there's some long lasting evidence from those interventions. Um, for some folks, therapeutic massage, especially from folks who have um, a lot of body knowledge. So some specialized chiropractors who can do therapeutic massage and all of that kind of muscle manipulation can be helpful. Um, and swimming, that's the other activity that's non-therapeutic, but lots of good evidence to show that low um, resistance movement like swimming can help to alleviate some of that chronic pain. And I'm gonna shout out my own massage therapist because I don't have like any invisible illnesses, but I struggle with some some neck issues and all of the things, Leslie, as you were going through them, shout out Nikki, um, she's me, she's a trauma informed yoga instructor and she does massage. And she was telling me, you know, heated, you know, kind of yoga, more flowing kind of movements, exercise and, 
she does like craniosacral massage that she did on me and was like life-changing whenever I was in so much of my pain at that time and but yeah all of those things I remember her mentioning to me and then swimming came to my mind because I you know I remember when I worked community mental health we would gather resources and and things because we'd have a lot of clients come who was were also um doing pain management at some clinics in town and trying to get resources to pay for Y memberships so that way people could have access to the the pool when we live in Ohio year round. So great things that I've heard so much about. And the biofeedback, I like, or neuro and biofeedback, that was fascinating to me. So I was going to ask you before you started getting into it, like, what would that look like for chronic pain? So like the, the electrodes would pick up on those pain responses that were happening. And then you, you literally, I want to like see this like happening. Like I want to, or do it myself, even though I don't struggle with chronic pain, but that there is fascinating to me. And I wish was more accessible than, than what it is. Yeah. And some insurance plans will cover it. And it, it's, it's still something that needs a lot more research because if we're studying something like chronic pain, that's actually a hundred different topics. And if we're studying neurofeedback in chronic pain, there's probably 15 different types of neurofeedback. So we've got, you know, decades and decades of work to still refine and figure this out. So it won't be helpful long-term for everyone. Um, but we think what's happening with that is it's not actually the pain signal itself that it's picking up is um, focus. You're retraining your ability to have control over your physiological responses. So when we're in pain, we are by definition out of control. And what happens is there's this cycle of, and I've, I'm sure that you've both seen this with your clients, even with um, more mental health related things, when we're tense, when we're experiencing an emotion that's tense, our, our body tends to be tense. That's why we all teach our clients, you know, where do you feel that in your body? That tension, for chronic pain sufferers leads to additional pain, which leads to additional tension, which leads to additional body tension, and it goes around and around. So what neurofeedback does is it helps you filter out what is the tension that is an addition to this really core physiological pain, and then that ex you experience that as a reduction in pain because you're able to relax your body at will. Something something else that came to mind, just things that have worked for me personally, but I've also had um, work for clients as well, is um, you kind of brought that up just now, progressive muscle relaxation. That really helps me identify like where it is in my body. Um, EFT tapping has helped with my pain, especially at nighttime for sleep when it's really rough. Um, and then it sounds super lame and cheesy and so like go do self-care and take a bubble bath but an epsom salt bath with essential oils that are like specific for pain or even just mood if i'm in a funky mood because of my pain taking an epsom salt bath is huge for me and i will say for folks i struggle with the exercise because it's like a catch-22 for me <laughs> if i don't work out or exercise i'm in pain if i do i'm in pain it, you know it goes back and forth so um for me sometimes just stretching really well just like getting on the floor or even if I can't get on the floor, like just doing some really good stretches with my arms and things like that. So I think that's the accommodation part of it. Um, you might see me hop off because this one's approaching nap time. So 
I'll let you guys finish if I have to hop off. That's okay. And then, and Leslie, again, I want to thank you for always joining us, spreading, you know, all of this information out into the world with us. And I want to keep him in rain. He's like adorable and he smiles at me things. And, but, um, but we ask every single, um, guest before we wrap up, you've been here before, so you know our drill, but if there is, you know, as we wrap up this episode and things, um, a mantra or last tidbit, last thing to leave our listeners with on a kind of an upswing note um, in regards to our topic today. Yes, I prepared for this, so I know what I was going to say. Um, uh, this is true for everyone, but really, really for those of you listening that experience some kind of invisible illness, that rest is not something that we earn. That throughout our life, rest and joy and peace are things that we get to give ourselves regardless of what's happening. And so if you were less functional today because you were hurting, you're not less deserving of an Epsom salt bath or Chipotle by DoorDash or talking to your best friend instead of cleaning your room. You are always deserving of rest and wellness, um, regardless of how productive you have been. Yes, you are not, your worth is not equated to your physical capabilities, which we could go on forever about the connection to where that comes from, <laughs> um, that belief comes from, but we won't go there today. Okay, we made it to the end. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. If you all don't already, um, make sure you follow Leslie on all the social medias, TikToks. Your Dr. Leslie Cook on TikTok, uh, Instagram. Also, Dr. Leslie. I'm Cook. Leslie. I'm Leslie underscore Sidey PSY. Oh yes, 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 yes. So make sure you go follow her on all the platforms. Um, next week, I believe if we can fit him in, we're gonna get Josh from TikTok. Yeah. Um, can't think of what his name is right now. Oh my gosh. Something life with Josh. Yeah. Anyway, to cover the men's mental health series before my husband finally comes back to do it next year. So that'll be exciting. Um, and we are definitely going to have Leslie back again because she just loves being with us. Yeah, so. It's going to be our, our once a month or every couple of months guest. So if you don't already, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, make sure you know when the most recent episodes are coming out. Um, send any comments to us and we'll get them to Dr. Leslie if you have them. But I hope everyone has a wonderful week and enjoy your holidays. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.